You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Oh, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we didn't learn this one simple trick that they don't want you to know. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, wild cherry flavoring in human form. Benedict, what's the one place you miss most that you can't go to because of COVID? Oof. That's a good question. I feel like the UK, I have to say, just because I haven't seen my family <laughs> for like a long time. I, I know. That's uh, now you're making me feel bad with yeah, it. Yeah, yours is in California. Family <laughs> issue. Yeah, yeah recent no, family health issue and stuff. Yeah, yeah, everyone's I, fine. I feel don't bad. worry about it. Now I feel like a dick. No, I don't miss Cal. I, I, I mean, I, okay, I miss California, right? I miss California, but I've lived away from California for three years now. So it's a little bit blunted in that that missing being able to go to California. But honestly, what I miss most right now is going to class at my law school and sitting down in those classrooms that I used to despise every day. And I think part of the reason is I can't force myself to pay attention when I'm sitting on my couch. It's so much harder uh, to actually try and pay attention to a lecture when I have the option of literally anything else. Literally anything else I could be doing. <laughs> literally anything. But anyways, Benedict, of course you know. I don't know if other people know. But this is the show where we dig down mm. deep, deep, deep into that, that plastic that plastic little uh, twist-tie top bread mm. bag. You know, the long one that the loaf yep. comes in. You dig down deep. You try and find that last moldy slice, mm. the end cap Mm-mm. from the other side of the loaf of bread that usually you throw away. You try and find that of right-wing thought. Good, good. That is what we do here <laughs> on this podcast. I actually can't tell you the last time because I, I bake all my own bread usually. Occasionally I get lazy and I go and, and buy a loaf just because I'm like, oh, I, just, I don't feel like doing it today. And uh, uh, But I, I can't tell you actually the last time I actually ate that other end slice off of the store-bought loaf of bread, because that's usually a garbage sp- slice, especially by the time you get to it. It's a worthless slice. That's true. What, what if you... Okay, so you break your own bread. What if you just want some bread one day, and then you... But, like, I need bread, like, now. Like, then what do I'll you do? It bread. takes a while. Yeah, I'll go okay. buy... I'm not, I'm not, like, averse to purchasing bread. Okay. It's that I, I like sourdough. It's hard to get sourdough on the East Coast, so I make my own. I've been doing it for years. I did it before COVID even started. Uh-huh, I'm not uh-huh. one of those people. Uh, but no, I, and I also... There's nothing like the smell of your house when you bake a loaf of bread. It That's just, true. It's just... It's wonderful. That's it's outstanding. True. What's your... So, what's your, So your go-to loaf is a sourdough? That's your... It's my go-to. Sometimes I'll mix it up. I'll make like a multi-grain loaf if I'm feeling a little uh, like I need a little more fiber in my a life. Little, a little frisky. Feeling a little frisky. Get that multi-grain <laughs> yeah. going. Put, put some pumpkin seeds on there. Ooh. Yeah, I go fancy with it. Try and copy those uh, Whole Foods loaves. But anyways, okay. Benedict, why don't we get started this week? What's your hot take for us? Um, I think, and everyone, the people are going to get mad at me for this one. This is my hottest take ever, I think. Uh, everyone should just be able to get the vaccine now in the US. That's my hot take. We've it, It's down to 50 plus in New York as of tomorrow. I think I am the same as a 50 year old in terms of my general health. So I feel like I should be able to get the vaccine is basically <laughs> as, what as I'm saying. As someone who knows you well, <laughs> as someone who knows you well and knows that you, you basically live off of tea and uh, delivery food, yeah, I think you're you're basically on the level of a fifty. I am a very good cook. I agree Thank with you that. very much. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm just British lazy, food, which is. 
Well, that's that. That's your problem. That's all of our yeah, problems. Yeah, that is my problem. What about you? What's your hot take? You agree with mine, though? You agree my with hot your... take this week. No, no, I disagree with you. Uh, I think we still need to focus on the old people. You and Fine. I can get by for a little while longer. Fine. My hot take this week. Um, if you recall, last week, you made a little teensy-weensy, itsy-bitsy joke about me, about mm. uh, all my anime stuff. And how I'm getting uh, way too into it, and uh, made a joke about how I'm becoming obsessed, like someone's trying to be Japanese. And then we had a shooting in the middle of last week um, where someone went after a bunch of Asian people, which uh-huh. which um, made me reflect. It yes. made me reflect a lot on what you had said. Um, and and I really, I, I, it's, it's sort of a joke, right? When we do these hot takes, they're always a little bit of a joke. Right, I'm not. I'm. I like anime. It's a thing I like. I like. Mm-hmm. Je- I like sushi. I like all that stuff. I think there's parts of other cultures that we all enjoy, but I think there is a moment where we all need to take a look at how we look at other cultures, right? And whether we do. And this guy's bullshit excuse, right, about sexual obsession or whatever the fuck it was. There's no fucking excuse for what this asshole did, but there is. And and what this really brought to my mind was. When I got into anime at the beginning of this year, I started spending a lot of time online trying to learn about it, because that's how I get with things that I enjoy. I get that obsessive internet wormhole thing going on, where I start going all over and trying to learn everything I can about that topic or that subject. That's just how weird I am. And I found, unsurprisingly, and I sort of knew this already, that there is a deep connection between the anime subculture on the internet and the alt-right culture, and the incel oh, yeah. culture, and Big those time. sorts of areas on the internet. And so there's there's most definitely a, a connection there. You know, a lot of the alt-right stuff began on these internet message boards, the uh, image boards like 4chan and Reddit and places like those. And so there's a deep, long-standing connection between them that I think we do need to be aware of. Um, whether it's because we, we need to beware of certain people and the actions they may take in the future. I don't know where this all leads, but I just wanted to drag out that, that it did make me reflect. The events of the last week and your little stupid jokey comment made me reflect on my own life and whether I've engaged in any sort of the fetishization of you know Asian people and stuff that goes on a lot. Uh, in our culture, and uh, if, you, if you're engaged in shit that's causing problems, uh, stop that. Stop that stuff. <laughs> so, that's <Are> just, <laughs> the long way around of uh, shit that's been rocking around in my head for the last week. Uh, but Benedict, why don't we move I on said, a little Kevin, bit? What's I, on I, your bookshelf this on. week? I, I didn't realize how powerful yeah. I was. I said one little throwaway little <laughs> comment, and you're like, I've been thinking about this for the last seven no, no, days. Here's the thing that you don't understand. Here's the thing you don't understand is I often spend days after we record a show thinking about something stupid that I said on that show and reflecting and wishing I could go back in and edit it out and change it, but I never do. I never change the word. I might leave things out that I've said. Uh, you know, the the many, the many racial slurs I throw around on the show <laughs> that I edit out. Those those all have to go out, but I never change my words that I put into the show. But no, there have been times where, for example, I have said the name of a Marvel character wrong and wanted to go back and change it afterwards. Uh-huh. Those things have rocked around in my you know, head. Your deepest and regrets. Tormented me. <laughs> so yes, things that happen on this show affect my everyday life. But Benedict, rather than the garbage that we read on this show, what's on your bookshelf? What should other people on my read? bookshelf this week is uh, Hidden Valley Road by I think Robert Colker. I forget his exact. I name. am familiar. It is a delightful ranch dressing, and <laughs> I think it's it should be on all pizzas. Yeah, surely. Um, no, so it's about um, some of the early scientific studies into schizophrenia through the lens of a family who had 12 kids six of whom were diagnosed with schizophrenia and all it was all the boys weirdly were diagnosed is that a with real story yeah yeah yeah. it's a real oh, jesus um, christ it's a real, real family yeah so i mean they were they were like unsurprisingly researchers were like hey can we just watch you uh as a family <laughs> and so it, it, it's weird it's very odd it's like uh the first chapter is like hey there's this nice woman who's about to get married and she's from texas and her name's mimi and she seems lovely and then it's like now it's uh, chapter two here's the problem that young had with freud <laughs> so yeah uh, that, really yeah really sounds like a nice around. light afternoon read yeah. yeah truly truly what about you what's on your bookshelf 
For me this week, I am recommending that everyone go check out, and because I, I sort of recommended something related to it last week, it's finally time for me to recommend you go watch Cowboy Bebop, the anime. Okay. Uh, one of the finest ever made, a true exemplar of the genre, um, one that I think was like the first anime I probably ever actually watched, because... When I was a kid, it's what was playing on the Cartoon, late, cartoon Network uh, late night uh, Adult Swim. It was the anime they were showing back in the day at that time. And it still holds up. It's still so good. And, and they just wrapped production on the Netflix live adaptation, which hopefully will be coming out in the coming months. And I'm super excited. That they seems got like some good actors in it. I'm I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much, but like John Cho is the lead in it, and he's okay. great. And I think if he can pull off the cool vibe that he needs for that character, he can do it. I'm excited. I think it's it's it could be great. It could be great, and I hope it turns out great. So, anyways, on to housekeeping this week. Of course, rate and review us on iTunes. Follow us on all of the social medias, of course. And remember, if you can't get enough, go become a patron. Patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Early releases, extra episodes, all that cool stuff. But better All that out of the way. We return to our book review of Arguing with Socialists by Glenn Beck, mm. a man whose plan to succeed Rush Limbaugh involves his announcing his re rehab from an MSG addiction. Benedict! What do we read this? And that's not an addiction joke. That's a desperation to be relevant joke. Benedict! <laughs> what do we read this week? Well, Kevin, this week we read the second half of chapter three in which we define capitalism again for some reason. Again, again, and different. Well, capitalism isn't defined differently, but capitalism with a safety net is defined differently. Yep. yep. There's a lot we have to talk about with the second half of this chapter. Uh, Kevin, there's off a lot with... we have to talk about about this book. <laughs> That's true, because we still have hundreds of pages left to go. But there's a couple things I need to note right up front for this second half of the chapter, and I feel like I keep bringing this up, and we keep have to remember it. We have to keep remembering it because otherwise, we would sort of lose ourselves in trying to argue with Glenn. Mm. Because we have to remember that Glenn is arguing our position as a complete straw man. There is no relationship between what Glenn Beck says that we want and what we actually want. Mm, the, yeah, yeah. Never the twain shall meet. Luxury Glenn space has no idea. <laughs> yes. Glenn has no idea what the left in this country actually wants. And we will get to luxury to, space, Kevin, ga luxury to, gay space <laughs> communism. To be fair, the left in this country has no idea what the left in this country actually wants. Also true. Time, so. Also true. Very much also true. But the first thing we need to talk about in this chapter, and which is written in large font at the top of my page, is Benedict, we need to talk about how headings work. Because Glenn has sporadically used headings throughout this book, sure, which are, yeah. you know, they're two or three times the size of the rest of the text, and they're in bold, dark black. And generally, I don't know about you, Benedict, but when I see that, that signifies to me, as a reader, that what comes after that will be related in some minuscule way to what that text is in bolded black letters. Is that generally until, how you until, read it? Until the next bit of text in bolded black letters, yes. It, generally, normally, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. That is, that is, that is generally how, how things work. Now, this bit of bolded black text is titled Single Payer Abortion, under which we get one paragraph that even discusses the word abortion Followed by not a single mention of abortion for the next 30 pages. Which honestly is a blessing. Like I didn't want, like really, I didn't want to deal with that. So that's fine by me. Right, right. So he starts this off saying, additionally, right, this is apparently a continuation of what ended on the last page. All of the democratic socialists, A, we can just call them Democrats or just say Democrats, that's what he's saying, running in the 2020 presidential primary have said they support imposing a government-run health care system or greatly expanding government health care programs, and that in either case, government would use taxpayer dollars to fund abortion services. And he says that this is, of mm. course, despite the fact that more than 100 million Americans oppose abortion. Benedict. Would you care to take a gander at how wrong that is? Uh, that stat, how wrong that stat is? Yes. Um, I would say that's maybe double the amount of people that actively oppose abortion. 
Close, close. So based on Gallup polling, as of 2020, roughly 20% of the country opposes abortion under all circumstances. Yeah, so that, that's the other thing. Like, it's not, there's not like a, you know, people oppose right, there's, different there's levels not a of clear, abortion. Yes, like, exactly. Overwhelmingly, of course, we know that most Americans are in favor of, of access to abortion, which is the fact that he doesn't want to use for the framing of that paragraph, because that obviously cuts against his point. Just, I guess the fact that far less than a majority of the country opposes it should mean something to us. But no, uh, based on the math of the population of the U.S. and the statistics from Gallup, about 65 million people in the United States oppose abortion under all circumstances. Now, mm -hmm. that's not an insignificant number. No, but it is a, a it is a go-fuck-yourself number, because I don't care if such a small portion of the country is opposed to abortion. The as opposed to something vital, us, yeah. Absolutely. The vast majority of us are fine with abortion, at least in some regards. He then jumps from that single paragraph about abortion to a long discussion about guns, because, of course, it always comes back to guns. It can't it ever get away from guns, because that's the... the I don't want to say the best gripe they have, but it's the only gripe that they have something they can point to and say, we have a thing. It's called a Second Amendment. It says guns. <laughs> What's funny is like Bernie is probably one of the most pro-gun Democratic senators. Mm -hmm. Because he's from Vermont. I don't know if it was you or uh, uh, Chris who made the joke last time about, hey, you know, the far left, they all love the guns, too. <laughs> yeah. We're we'll all in favor of gun rights too, Glenn. Uh, but yeah, so he, he jumps straight from that little tiny bit of abortion talk to the quote is, and let's not forget the call to eliminate American Second Amendment right to own firearms. Mm. And then we're going to go into a bunch of bullshit statistics, bullshit evidence about how great guns are to have around. Which uh, don't don't mention the real danger of guns at all, which is that you end up hurting yourself or those around you rather than, like, using them as a, a weapon against an intruder. Like, the most common gun injury is one you do to yourself or your family. Absolutely, right? He says, first off, quote, There is a mountain of evidence showing that there is no connection between legal gun ownership and crime. And then he's going to give us three examples that are supposed to provide that evidence for us, that link of the mountain of evidence that is supposedly out there. The first there is an opinion piece that went up in the Washington Ooh. Post. <laughs> Great. Strong evidence there. And this opinion piece actually had a lot of traction when it went up back in 2017. Benedict, can you take a guess why? Do you have any remembrance of, uh, or let's say, October-ish 2017 in the United States? Uh, was that the, the Parkland shootings? No, that was, as a matter of fact, the Las Vegas shootings. Okay, cool. Well, this uh, just another mass shooting in America, then. Right. I could say any month, and you could be able to pick another random mass shooting that happened yeah. in the U.S. But uh, the opinion piece actually went up three days after the Las Vegas shooting, cool. which is part of why it got a lot of traction. And it was written by uh, a writer who was, uh, a fo she's now, I don't know what she's doing now, I don't remember, but she was formerly a news writer over at 538. Okay. And there's been a lot of criticism written about this article. Some of the good stuff out there, like Vox did a very good uh, analytical piece looking at it and saying, well, she says there's all this evidence. She doesn't actually quote any of it or cite to any of it in her article. And what she does, uh, it's very clear that she's leaving out all the stuff that doesn't support her point. Uh, so it's it's not a very good or well-written yeah, article just, if I, you want to. I, I, just as, as a Brit, and I know we don't love anecdotal mm -hmm. evidence on this show. Yes. But... There really aren't very many mass shootings in the UK. <laughs> there really aren't. There really aren't. Also, the, yeah, there wasn't a significant drop-off of them because there just never were because, very yeah. many. But we had a bad one and we were like, no more guns for you. Exactly. Part of her argument in that piece was that when Britain engaged in more serious gun laws, they didn't have a significant drop-off in shootings. And you're right. The point was they already didn't have very many guns in the UK even before the restrictions. And yeah. the same in Australia. Those were the two case examples that she looked at, where neither country had a serious number of guns before the specific restrictions she was looking at. Uh, and there's also plenty of studies that show the opposite of what she's claiming that I found during my minimal amount of research. The second one that he goes to, the second bit of evidence, he says, quote, Perhaps even more importantly, at a minimum, hundreds of thousands of Americans have defended themselves using guns over the past decade. 
A 2013 study of firearm violence conducted by the U.S. Department of Justice's Bureau of Justice Statistics found surveys show from 2007 to 2011 there were at least 235,700 instances in which a victim of a criminal offense used a firearm to threaten or attack an offender. So, if you go to that study that he's talking about, Mm -hmm. and you go to the very first page of that study (laughs) and look at the big gray box marked highlights on that page where it is telling you about the highlights of the study, it says, for example, in 2007 to 2011, less than 1% of victims in all non-fatal violent crimes responded using a firearm to defend themselves during the incident. Mm. So less than 1% is what he's hanging his hat on. Also, right, okay, here's, here's the thing for me, and this is a bit of a tangential thing, so bear with me. You know mm-hmm. when people are like, oh, states' rights caused the Civil War, and you're mm-hmm. like, a state's right to what, though? And yes. the answer is to hold slaves and keep slaves, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that. So, like, this is, again, this is one of those things where if you ask the next question, the whole argument falls apart like a house of cards. It's like, oh, this many people defended themselves from what? Like, what were they defending? <laughs> Another dude with a gun. Right. That's why they needed a gun. Like, Or black guy on the subway. Well, right. Yeah. There's shit like it's these are self-reported surveys are what they're they're talking about there, because we don't have really good data on firearm violence in this country because it's not kept on local levels. There are not a lot of good data sources. And the second or the third rather piece of evidence that he gets to, which is a 2013 study conducted by the National Academy's Institute of Medicine and National Research Council, he claims found that's the word he uses, quote, Almost all national survey estimates indicate that defensive gun uses by victims are at least as common as offensive uses by criminals, with estimates of annual uses ranging from about 500,000 to more than 3 million, in the context of about 300,000 violent crimes involving firearms in 2008. So people are just firing guns for no reason at people that don't have guns. Well, no, here's the problem. Uh, that study that he's citing did not find that there were that many uses of defensive gun use. What that study found was, is that claims of from 500,000 to 300, 3 million abound. This, the report specifically states, and I, I pulled up the report. I went, I found it. I looked at it. That report states we need to do more research on this because there clearly are no good numbers. Because they said at the end of it, in the context of about 300,000 violent crimes involving firearms in 2008, mm. how do you end up with 500,000 uses of defensive use of guns when there were only about 300,000 reported violent crimes in 2008? Because Where are those other 200,000 uses coming from? People love to say that they fired their gun for no reason. In this country. No, that's people true. like to make up bullshit statistics that, on the internet. That's true. And <laughs> and sources like the NRA that are trying to promote guns cannot be trusted on this matter. Clearly, as shown by that, because one of the sources I found was an NRA thing, which cited that 500,000 to 3 million estimate. So no, you clearly just can't, you can't believe this shit. And this is where I wrote at the bottom of the page... I thought this section was about abortion. Where <laughs> the fuck not. did we go? It is not. But we have done two pages in 15 minutes, so we should probably <laughs> speed up a bit. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, on the next page, we get a brain dump on the side of the page. And this one is one of the ones named an ADD moment. Uh, and he t- titles this one, Democratic Socialists of America Hate the Second Amendment. And it's just... A, ri- a listing of what is on the uh, DSA website, uh, which is proposing to uh, pass an amendment rescinding the Second Amendment and allowing still for single shot firearms. Is it Glenn bad Beck, that I, I think this is a totally reasonable solution to the problem? Not at all. I okay. think that's fine. <laughs> I think that's absolutely if you if if people really believed what they claim to about, you know, we need guns to hunt or for hobbies. Leave out the people who claim they need them to defend themselves because they're full of shit. Less than 1%, right? Nobody uses guns to fucking defend themselves. They certainly don't. Uh, But if they really believe in the hunting and sport shooting aspects of it, a single shot firearm should be literally all they need. Yeah. There's there's 
nothing you would need beyond that if you're just and I, I look I I know a little bit about guns uh, I own a shotgun that I haven't used in years because it's locked up in California uh, at my parents place because I live in other places now but uh, I understand that duck hunters sometimes need multiple rounds when they're hunting ducks I get that but you know what maybe you shoot one duck instead of five so have a happy day. You still got to shoot a duck, and maybe, you know, an hour later when the next flock flies by, you get to shoot a second one after you have time to reload. I'm not that concerned with that. I'm not that concerned with you needing to shoot multiple animals in a short period of time. I think you'll get by just fine with one. Yeah, I mean, we're letting you have more than a musket, so... Absolutely. So he tells us, of course, the whole reason he jumped into guns to begin with is to reiterate a point he's already made which is that there has never been a country adopting a socialist model that has maintained individual rights. Remember, we've already been through this with Glenn Beck, but he is repetitious as all hell because he has very little to actually contribute to any conversation. But in doing this, he makes a Star Wars reference <laughs> to episode two and then self-consciously recognizes that he made an, epi uh, an episode two, a prequel Just don't reference. do it. Just don't do it, man. Well, beyond that, here's what he said, because the reference he is is to Champler Palpatine reorganizing the Galactic Republic. And of course, they have to go to fiction, right? This is the same bullshit as Antonin Scalia citing to 24 and uh, Jack Bauer torturing someone as justification for torture, right? They only have fiction. So, but the quote he says, right, it's about, about that reorganization. And he says, in parentheses, and before you say it, yes, I apologize for using a Star Wars prequels reference, but at least I didn't use a Jar Jar Binks reference. And I want to call bullshit because the entire reason that Palpatine became the Emperor of the Galactic Republic is because Jar Jar voted for it. So fuck you, Glenn Beck. You did make a Jar Jar <laughs> reference. Doesn't even know the Star Wars well enough to understand what he's No! Doing. You bastard! Oh, I don't know if I'm more mad about the Star Wars reference or more mad about his stupidity. Definitely stupidity. But, but now he gets into arguing that, of course, you know, Marx, Marx wouldn't say that we need to eliminate all these individual liberties. He would, he would, of course, say that you know, he did, that we need to maintain these liberties. That's, that's what it's all about. It's about having liberties. But, of course, Carl couldn't know that things have changed over the past two centuries. How could he possibly know? Everything's different than when Karl Marx was alive. Sure. Of course, he never recognizes that when it comes to talking about the founders of the United States. No. That things have changed Funny over that. the past two and a half centuries. And Mar perhaps Marx looks kind of fly here, wrong. by the way. He just looks, he looks cool. He looks like someone to have a beer with. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have an appearance of uh, the ghost of Karl Marx, right? He's doing a little, like, uh, a smirky face. Like He he's, looks like he's, he's leaning on the bar, right? And just been like, you know, Yes, you know he's, he's looking at the girl down the bar. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, you ever read the Communist Manifesto? <laughs> that was me. That's me. That was me. That's I did me. that. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's Angles down at the end of the bar. He's, <laughs> he'll go home alone later. Don't worry about him. <laughs> angles is so... I've got to get my props to Angles. angles. <laughs> But yes, so he gets back into this shit about individual rights. Of course, the first thing he brings up is land ownership, because Republicans have this weird obsession with land ownership as like, I guess, the only thing that fucking matters to them. I, I'll never understand it. But he gets into this little bit about land ownership and then starts talking again about the same retreaded stuff we've already talked about in this book. The, that the majority of companies in this country are small businesses. We mm. have 30.2 million small businesses in, in the United States. That's 99% of all businesses. I don't think he's accurate on that statistic, but whatever. And nearly half of all workers are for small businesses. So, so of course, again, the tired straw man that he thinks that socialists think that small businesses are only owned by millionaires and wealthy families. Okay, None pa of pause, think pause one second, though. Like, if you just look at his own statistics, that means 53% of people work for 0.1% of companies. Well, I, I, would, I did think that when I was reading that, and then I, I thought to myself, well, there's also government employment, there's nonprofit employment, there's plenty of other forms of sure, them. There's solo, sure, pro, sure, you sure. know, uh, yeah, self-employed yeah. people. I think he probably so includes self-employed as small businesses, though possible but i look i didn't look into his statistics there because it's not important enough to matter it Fair really enough. isn't Fair important enough, enough to yep. matter but we get to our first tweet 
of this second half well, of the no, chapter. Just before you go, he does he does the same thing that he always does, where he goes, small business owners don't even make that much money. They they make on average fifty thousand dollars a year. Not acknowledging that the worth of a small business isn't in the salary that the owner takes necessarily, but in the value of the business. Right, and that's something that I think does get overlooked a lot is the fact that small business owners are building equity. Right, the, as the value of their business goes up, they're building. Uh, something that when they reach retirement age, they can sell or they can liquidate, whatever the case might be, they will have something there, which is not something you are growing when you are employed by someone else, which is part of why I'm so supportive of cooperatives. Cooperatives, cooperatives you are both an employee and you own it. You're growing equity. Cooperatives work. End of story. So we get the first tweet of the chapter, or this, the second half of the chapter, and this time it's Rashida Resistance. And AOC 2024 Squad for Life, my favorite hashtag, yep. or uh, uh, handle, favorite whatever handle. it is. Yeah, and it is, quote, taking land, authoritarian dictators, the elimination of personal freedoms. This sounds like communism, not socialism. And I'm definitely not a communist. To which Glenn responds, can, can what I, I'm about to say. You, hold on, before you, before you go. <laughs> my favorite bit about this is this is clearly supposed to be an argument that is going on on Twitter, Right. But it's not yes, like he doesn't yes. put his own tweet in as a response. He just like goes back to the book and then she like reads the book and then responds on Twitter clearly in this premise. Like you would think well, the back and forth <laughs> at least between them would be on Twitter and then Glenn would like zoom out and explain the back and forth that he had. Well, this but no, is where he just my... like responds in a paragraph and then she responds yeah. in a tweet as if she's had advanced reading of the book. Well, this is where my theory about this book actually comes into play, which is that Glenn Beck uh, got into a bunch of Twitter battles, which he lost, and then wrote a book based on his half-remembered... Uh, Literally, Glenn, Glenn Beck's Esprit <laughs> d'Escalier in print form. Like. Yes, his half-remembered recall of those tweets. He just decided to write an entire book to badly argue against those tweets. But his response, yes, to that, that first tweet that you're talking about is, quote, what I'm about to say might trigger you, in scare quotes, but it's really important you try to hang with me. I know that you think you're not a communist, but it certainly sounds like you're a communist to, be, to me, a big red Marx-loving communist. To which, again, we have a rapid fire, Rashida Resistance, firing right back with, Glenn Beck, how can you say that? I've told you countless times I don't support ruling classes or big authoritarian governments or gulags or anything like that. I'm a socialist. I believe in sharing wealth and collective property ownership. But I don't believe in big authoritarian states. You're just trying to red bait me and other socialists who want to make the world a better place. Which is where, again, I have to remind you, yes, this is Glenn Beck's straw man of what <laughs> socialists are. I don't know anyone who, you know, like is a, a DSA member or anything who actually says, yeah, I mean, we should have collective ownership of all property. That's, that's something we should really go for. No. Yeah, I that's, mean, some people do, but, you know, they're like Trojan horse DSA members for communism, right. which is fine, whatever. Like, it's a big sure, tent. Sure, big tent. So. Yeah. No, but nobody cares about those people, right? There's, it's a small, it's a small portion. That is not the uh, goal of most of DSA, no. Absolutely not. But. Again, we're getting to this is what the next portion of the chapter is going to be about. He's going to tell us how, in fact, all socialists are communists. And in fact, as he told us at the beginning of this half of the chapter, all Democrats are socialists. So therefore, all Democrats are, in fact, communists. There you go. There you go. That's it. My favorite bit about this, first of all, is he's like, communism and socialism is the same. And I'm about to show you how communism and socialism are kissing cousins. Like, okay, kissing cousins aren't twins, though. Like, <laughs> that's a bad analogy, is what that is. Like, yeah, they share some similarities and a little, maybe are a little flirtatious with each other. But... Yeah, that. And then also, he's like, oh, one of our biggest problems in modern America is that we're always talking past each other and ac accusing everyone on the other side of being fucking communists. They're like, yes, yeah, you just did that literally three it, pages it ago. <laughs> yeah, immediately after, a paragraph after, he says, basically, if you use the chain of logic I just laid out, which literally, he started off this half of the chapter saying, all Democrats are really socialists. We might as well just call them that and saying, well, you know, all socialists are really communists. Or at least this example, his example, Rashida Resistance, which is supposed to represent, I guess, all socialists or really communists. Then he goes into his faux reasonableness phase, which he always does. And yes, he says, one of the biggest problems we face is people are always talking past one another. Which is, again, a retread of basically the same thing he said in the first chapter of this book. He did, and it, this is something that really pissed me off about this chapter. This chapter really is a retread of the first two chapters. 
I really think he didn't have anything to say. And he's just like, fuck, I need another chapter. Yeah, it's really Because we boring. even go back, <laughs> as we will in a couple pages, we redo those same definitions we got in the first chapter. <laughs> yep, it's really boring. Which is just wonderful. Just wonderful. So... He goes through a little bit of his, his, you know, a couple paragraphs of his faux reasonableness, right? We need to have uh, shared definitions. We need to understand what we're talking about. And then goes into, you know, Marx. Marx just didn't get it. He didn't believe that his final stage would have these prison camps or tyrannical uh, authoritarians that the Communist parties would end up uh, devolving into. He thought it would just be, you know, everyone happier. They wouldn't worry about starving. They'd have health care. They wouldn't be... You know, worried about paying their bills. And Rashida Resistance chimes in, replying to this, quote, Well, that certainly sounds more in line with what I believe. But how do I know what you're saying is accurate? I've never heard anyone talk about communism this way. Why should I trust you've got it right? To which Glenn tells us, you shouldn't. Yep. <laughs> and for once, I agree with Glenn. Yep, that's right. Don't trust you Glenn. You really shouldn't trust Glenn. Because the next example he goes to, to tell us about how this is all true, how all socialists are really communists, really all the same thing, and all, Benedict, you and I, we're communists, we should know mm. this now, yeah, yeah, yeah. is a 2019 interview in Jacobin Magazine by Paige Kreisman, or with Paige Kreisman, uh, who was running for office in Oregon in the uh, District 42 election. Um, and uh, Benedict, you want to you wanna guess how that turned out for uh, I would. I'm gonna say that she didn't win because Glenn doesn't make a big deal about her winning. That's true. She didn't even win the primary. She ah, in fact good. lost the cool, primary. Cool, cool. Cool, she cool, got cool, cool. seven thousand seven hundred votes in the primary. Uh, and this whole interview, uh, out of total votes, there were like twenty-two thousand votes. Okay. It was so a primary that, in an uncontested district. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. It's just a primary in an uncontested district. But this is an example, the same as all the other terrible organizations he's gone to that have 1,500 members or whatever the case might be. Someone who's basically irrelevant. Uh, but this this woman, Paige Kreisman, she is a uh, trans woman who identifies as a uh, member of the Democratic Socialist. I shouldn't say identifies as. That, that comes off wrong. But she is a member of the Democratic Socialists and mm -hmm. a member of the Communist Party. And okay. she admits that she's a member of the Communist Party. So, of course, I'm sure Glenn Beck wants to have her hauled off to a gulag like his heroes in the 50s would have we don't call them gulag gulags if they're right, of course though. that's only the communists have gulags we don't have gulags but i did we have the american industrial beck. prison complex i did want to give glenn beck the slightest bit of credit in that this is the first book we have read where the author did not intentionally misgender a trans person yeah I, Fine. It blew my fucking mind that it would be Glenn Beck that did that. But this literally, the for every book we've read up to this point has misgendered a trans person. There's not a single one that hasn't. Glenn Beck is the one that breaks the record. And I'm sure in a later chapter of this book, we will get it. But at least at this point, by chapter three, we haven't gotten it yet. Which is great, yeah. So, in response to Ms. Kreisman, we get uh, a quote from Hayek, which nobody should give a shit about, because nope. fuck Hayek, because it gives a shit. Yep, precisely. But he goes through a little bit of how, of course, communism, it's just the, the fulfilled version of socialism, right? The advanced stage, all this stuff you hear from the right, and of course you do hear from uh, people who are communists, who say that socialism is on the path towards communism. Yeah, Tends but be... a lot of socialists don't want to take that final step. That's the no, point. no. Absolutely not. And I should point out, once again, most of the socialists don't even want what Glenn Beck claims socialism is. No. The whole collective property ownership thing is not a thing that the vast majority of people who call themselves socialists today want. No, it's but just like, not a thing. like we were saying last week, like maybe some like utility companies are, are government owned sure. or public owned sure. or whatever. But like, Absolutely. Yeah, definitely not like nobody's coming for Apple. Like. Yeah, fuck pg and &E. I'm with it. I'm absolutely with it. But he continues on with more terrible examples of how socialism is really communism. Of course, all these socialists really admit it. They just won't say it out loud in public by going again to the Socialist Party of Great Britain, who we've talked about before, who I don't remember if they had... Was that the one that had less than a thousand members? I don't remember which yeah, one that I think was. So. I think, so. I think that was the one that had less than a thousand members uh, where there's just an article he goes through where someone was talking about the difference between socialism and communism, says that Marx got it wrong. It really doesn't matter. But we get a little brain dump that I did kind of enjoy 
which is the postcard with the socialism, I can't believe it's not communism. And then the tagline, looks like democracy, spreads like cancer. Sure. Which, (laughs) as someone who grew up, in my household growing up, we were not a butter family. We were, and I can't believe it's not butter family. You're a margarine family? We were a margarine family. So I appreciate that tagline just a little bit, just the tiniest bit. Hate it. But we do get... I love butter. (laughs) Give me the butter, always, and the vaccine. I love butter too, man. Let me tell you, once I grew up and was able to get my own fucking butter, didn't have to rely on my fucking parents anymore to be getting the butter. Is that that what broke you? You were like, they lied to me about butter. What else did they lie to me about? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. If there's one thing that forms the core of my ideas, it's the fact that I learned at a young age my parents were lying to me about butter. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But we'd get a drop of my boy, and I always got to, we got to represent Frederick Angles. Oh, there you go, Angles, yep. Where he tells us that his view, Glenn Beck's view of how socialism and communism are the same thing, is supported by the writings of Angles, even though the parts he quotes directly, in fact, do not support that argument. <laughs> He's like, yeah, socialism is more for the middle classes, and communism is for the working classes. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, you wrote the book. You don't have to quote the things that make you look stupid. Leave it out. It's fine. You really do, right? It's just a quote about how Engels was talking. There was like a prefix to the uh, English version of the Communist Manifesto where he talked about why socialism meant something different when they were writing the Communist Manifesto. And eh, maybe they'll use the term socialism now. It doesn't really matter. Because you know what, Kevin? Words change. Words change. There's one thing we want to get across to Glenn. It's that words change, buddy. And we're going to learn that words change on the very next page when he gives us the same words defined (laughs) as we got in the first chapter, but he gives us different definitions than he used in the first chapter. (laughs) Love it. If you recall the first chapter, he gave us definitions for capitalism, free market capitalism with a safety net, socialism, and communism. And of those four, the only one that he did not change from the first chapter is capitalism. Sure. That one's the same word for word. But free market capitalism with a safety net is now defined as, quote, is a market-based capitalistic economy that includes publicly funded social safety nets for those who are unable to support themselves. Free market capitalism with a safety net is not a socialist system. It is the free market that allows countries with safety nets to be able to raise enough in tax revenue to provide generous benefits in their welfare programs. Okay, so I guess he has just determined that most American socialists, in fact, are not socialists. Yeah, fine. I mean, social democracy is that, pretty much. Like, But then you're, whenever we define ourselves as social democrats or democratic socialists, we get told we're communists. So, why, like, why not? Absolutely. And then his definition of you know, socialism... This, this could be... A clever commentary on the shifting definitions of yes. socialism and communism yes, and how you can't be. really pin, pin it down because it's kind of weaselly. But no, yes, it's just it could dumb. be. It could be. And I, you know what? Now that looking at it, I don't need to reread these definitions. No. Socialism, he's in some ways, he's taken out the snark and he's actually being more accurate with these second definitions later in the book where he's not trying to put extra slant on them. So it, it just really doesn't matter. It's just dumb. And I think it goes to show, right, what you were just talking about. It's basically unintended commentary on how words change over time. But yes, but in between some of these definitions, he does cite to the Socialist Party USA definition of socialism and how it's in line with the definition he's providing was, again, I just want to remind everyone that the Socialist Party USA is that organization that I think had either 2,000 or 2,500 members. I don't remember how many it had because I don't have that pulled up in front of me, but we talked about it last, last yeah, it was not first many. half it of the was, chapter. It was, in the, it was definitely in the low thousands. Like Yes, but these organizations and the things they say are what he is using to paint the majority of the country, everyone who voted blue, as a communist. Because Democrats are socialists, socialism is communism, if A equals B. You know how it goes. So, we get another brain dump, which doesn't really matter, but it says something to think about. And what he tells us is, in our Much to consider free- with the Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Yes. In our modern free market system, people are voluntarily choosing to share goods and services without mandates from government. 
And the examples he gives us are literally the most exploitative companies that exist in the world. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) He gives us through services like Uber and Lyft. We share cars through services like Airbnb. We share vacation homes and fuck Airbnb, by the way. Fuck Airbnb, Airbnb all the way. I've had nothing but the worst experiences with Airbnb. Uh, through services like Rent the Runway, which is one I've never heard of, we share high-end oh, I've clothes. I've Rent the Runway. I, I've ne- well, you live in that that cosmopolitan Manhattan. Ah, yes, famously. Yes. And the <laughs> final one, and he tells us, private property ownership can also be collective. He sure. doesn't understand what collective means. Sure. sure, yeah. Give me your property, Glenn. I'm sure that's something he would absolutely not be willing to do. So we get to the next tweet, which is going to guide us through this. And this, there's a little bit of a prefix. Glenn tells us before this tweet, because remember, he's writing to himself. Uh, there's a really easy test you can take to determine whether you're a communist. It only consists of one question, and there is no wrong answer. And is he it, asks, are you is ready the question, for it? are you a communist? <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a good way to ask, wouldn't it? That would really be a good way to ask. But no, Rashida says she's ready. And then Glenn asks the question. He says, here we go. Do you think it would be great if we could someday transform America into a country where everyone, including all businesses, share all their wealth collectively and peacefully? It doesn't have to happen tomorrow, next week, or even this century. It could take hundreds of years to achieve. But in your perfect world, is that ultimately what you'd like to see happen? Benedict, is that what you'd like to see happen? I guess. I mean, not really. Like, I I would like a safety net. That's all I really want. (laughs) Okay, I, I, look, I tend to agree with you. Rashida, of course, says, yes, that's what you want. And then he says, ah, you're a communist, has some sarcasm, it doesn't matter. But what he's defining there is Star Trek. That's fucking <laughs> Star Trek. That's what that is. Good that stuff. is luxury gay space communism. That's Star Trek. <laughs> My favorite Who says no to Star Trek? Who yeah, says no to a machine that gives you whatever food you want? Yeah, fair enough. My my favorite personal bit is like he just walks past jokes and waves at them as he goes by. So he's like, "Oh, you're a communist, a slightly used Che Guevara T-shirt, and a get out of breadline free pass." Not like a get out of gulag free, which is a much funnier joke. <laughs> yes, but you know, it's like I said, this is this is the radio DJ in him. He can't engage in serious conversation. Everything has to turn into a joke, which I understand because it's how I operate in my own life. I can't be serious for more no, than a minute at a time. That. That's fine. But when you're writing a book in which you are seriously trying to argue and make points, it does not make sense to do this, especially since immediately after that, we get another ghost of Karl Marx where he's just saying, hey, can I play, Glenn? Can I play? In response to the stupid question in the game thing. So, yeah, we get another tweet from Rashida Resistance after that, which is, okay, Glenn, very funny, but let's get back to the real issues here. You say socialism and communism are dangerous, but none of what I'm hearing sounds very dangerous to me. What's so wrong with societies collectively sharing wealth? And then, bragging on soybeans? Soy is the problem, yeah, I don't... Yeah, it's a whole joke about going to start a soybean commune in upstate New York. Great, Glenn, you can't even respond to your own it's it's setting up your own punchlines in a very boring way it's just it's my biggest problem is that the, a the punchlines all suck b yeah. the setups are all just incredibly lazy because you have this stupid back and forth with the tweets but yeah of course now we're gonna move on we're gonna learn how what we've already learned from him what he's already told us is again true we have to go through the same thing again where he's telling us that socialism and communism always result in authoritarian systems that don't have any freedom. Yeah, We're gonna I mean, learn does, that same does the thing GAP again. not, like... No! Well, there's a little bit of a twist to it this time, of course, though. Because this time, he's going to be telling us how democracy is evil. So there's sure. there's that little little bit of a twist. <laughs> sure. Like, you go to the bar, you, you know, you get a twist. You get a twist on your drink. A little bit of lime peel thrown in there. <laughs> twist so, yes, of course. Just a, just a twist, a teensy-weensy bit of fascism. And of course, he's going to tell us, right, he starts off telling us that all these organizations, the socialist organizations, even though they say they're in favor of democracy, um, nuh-uh, yeah. is the essence of his response. <laughs> he doesn't have any response to that. His only response is, well, socialism is always authoritarian. So repeating the premise, again, is the only response he has. But... He's going to say, even if 
all these organizations say they're still committed to democracy. That's wrong because democracy is still a bad shit. Who am I? Am I Glenn Beck? Am I wearing an American flag? Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> but this is another, it's a twist on the old America's not a democracy, it's a representative republic argument. Yeah, it's, it's just a twist hate on it. that. Skip right through this bit for me. Well, he runs through, right? Well, you know, African Americans living in the South, uh, they didn't have freedom. Uh, d- democracy didn't give them freedom. Again, that also happened under the capitalism, Glenn. So, not sure what you're arguing there. And yeah, he goes exactly. And th- this the- is like the golden age of his like free market economics. Really, you couldn't get to a time that had more of his idea of capitalism than when we had slaves. I can't imagine when there were no rules. Well, even just we Jim, didn't Jim, even Jim have Jim taxes. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We didn't even have income taxes. That's Glenn's ideal right there. Yeah. And I mean, he has a quote in a brain dump, uh, which he titled Liberty versus Democracy. So putting them as opposed to one another uh, from a woman named Rose Wilder Lane, who was apparently um, related to the little house on the prairie lady. I don't remember what her name is. But I think it was Wilder, right? Something Wilder? I never read those books. I don't know. Uh, She was like a sister or something. She was one of the characters from the Little House on the Prairie books. And she was also, by happenstance, a libertarian writer who was uh, heavily involved with Ayn Rand and all of them up until she died in the 1960s. But there's nothing worth reading because it's just bullshit. Oh, Madison would have thought blank. Who cares what you think Madison would have thought? And who cares what Madison thought? I, I really mean, don't. Madison he did likes... enough of his own writing for us to yeah, to be able you to just pick it out of there. But Jefferson, Jefferson thought we should too, rewrite so. the Constitution every twenty minutes. So, not actually twenty minutes, ten years or so. Yeah, don't really think I have to listen to what they have to say. But she ends it with a quote which says, "What rights of property ownership are there in Europe now?" And I don't know if that's a quote from her or a parenthetical from Glenn. But Benedict, are there any property rights left in Europe? No, nobody owns anything. It's a, no, it's nobody a, owns it. Oh, really? Yeah. That's surprising to me. Being one of those guys who's from there, I thought you'd... No, his, no. His parents, no. Whose parents might own that's, a couple that's, of... That's why Brexit happened. Parcels of land. Nobody, nobody thought... <laughs> was allowed to have property. So now we oh, do that's why they got out of the EU. That that makes a whole... Because they were taking it and giving it to all the... Yeah, they were giving it to the, the brown people. That's they right. Were, that's what they were doing. That's why you had to get out of the EU. That all makes a whole lot more sense now. But yeah, so it's all a bunch of bullshit, right? Also, goes through, they also go the, through like the Nazis having race laws. Like, why are we going into this? That's a weird time. Right, well, he because of, they came from the South, right? We remember, we went through this no, with I know, Glenn, the, with, the whole one drop of blood thing. Yeah, I, I'm right. aware of the thing. It's just we went like through it's, it a weird, yeah. it's a weird shoehorn here. Like, I just don't really understand why it's there. I, because it's another example of something bad that happened during democracy, even though it was actually the very representative republic that Glenn thinks is the yeah, ideal exactly. that like, we should have. America isn't a democracy. So what, like what argument are you making? Right. And it wasn't, it was in fact, even less of a democracy back yeah, then. Much which less of a democracy. Glenn should love, shouldn't he? Yeah. But the only other thing I picked up from this section, which did make me chuckle a little bit, um, was what he said in the 19th century. Uh, this, we get into this section where he's talking about how uh, America stopped funding religious schools. That's his example of rights being taken away under democracy when we stopped giving money to religious schools. Which we never should have been doing. No, we absolutely should. And he does have a point that a lot of it was Catholic backlash. The reason why it was taken, the Blaine amendments and things like that uh, originally sprouted up. But it was a good idea anyways to stop funding religious schools. They may have had the wrong motivations at the time, but it was in fact a good thing to not be publicly funding religious schools. Yeah. God, I'm so So he ends telling us. Let's finish. Let's finish. He he wraps us telling, you know, democratically elected governments have done all sorts of horrible things as he's just laid out in his section where he's only talking about things that have been done by the very representative republic that he thinks should not be given away to yeah. Deb. Never mind, let's get past that. <laughs> and we get another tweet from Rashida Resistance, where she says, oh, so let me get this straight. You don't like dictatorships or authoritarian governments. You don't like monarchies either, I'm sure. And, and I like the I'm sure there at the end of that sentence, because it makes me wonder, is Rashida proposing to, is she in favor of monarchies? Yeah, let's do is it. That, is that a new that quirk? Monarchical on the throne. Yeah, it's a new quirk to Rashida Resistance that I haven't picked up onto as of yet in this book. And now you're telling me democracy is no good either. 
What are you then, an anarchist? And this is where he tells us, of course, that no, 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 he's in favor of that representative republic as long as we have all those protections that the founders enshrined and, of course, that they ensured even though none of the things that Glenn would like to say were part of what the founders intended in those individual rights that they ensconced were actually upheld at that time and not for hundreds of years afterwards. So I'm... But he tells us democratic republics are the best form of government that have ever been created. The best. There's never been anything better than that. And then he has Neil DiCaprio Cortez button in with another tweet where he brings up, Glenn, many of the founders were slave-owning racists. And you yourself have given numerous examples of how governments in the United States have abused their power to enact racist laws. Clearly, this whole constitutional system you love so much hasn't worked. Great point, Neil DiCaprio Cortez. My favorite bit of Glenn's Glenn's response is he just goes, (laughs) well, you can't judge capitalism by its worst adherence. Like, yes! (laughs) Glenn, what have you been doing with socialism, buddy? What have you been doing with the same thing there? But yes, his only response is hand-waving. His only response is, well, you know, many they weren't perfect, but they did some good stuff. That's basically what he has to say about Yeah, and he's it. like, but you can't find me a perfect socialist either. Like, no, yes! nobody's perfect. Like, Exactly. He does throw in there uh, somewhere a little, uh, the only perfect person we've ever had was Jesus, and socialists hate him too. That's the only yeah, little I response mean, he has Socialists have there. more in common with Jesus than Glenn does. Like, Yeah, given to the poor, man. Glenn ain't in favor of that. So we get to... And I have to mention this because we, we're on one page where we just ended. We flip the page and out of nowhere, for no reason, is a full page spread that just has the words, history is full of examples of socialism's failures, catastrophic, terrifying, bloody failures. Out of nowhere. Yeah, and then there's another page of content afterwards. Yes, there was no lead into it on the previous page. It just exists now. He just got mad at having (laughs) having the founders challenged. And then he's like, well, socialism did all these things. He got mad at the fact that he challenged the founders. Because remember, he wrote all of that. He didn't have to. Yeah, exactly. No, we could have not done that. So we get to the final page. And of course, at this point, we're at, you know, socialism has been repeated. They've never gotten it right. And he, he misses an opportunity here because he actually brings up Richard Wolff. And Richard Wolff is an actual communist. Richard Wolff is a Marxist economist at the University of Massachusetts. He is full. If you wanted to, to say a guy was there, that's your guy, buddy. That's who you go for, Glenn. But he ends up just softballing it. And calling him a socialist leader. He doesn't well, even go full commie thing. for Richard Wolf. Same thing to Glenn, you know. You know that. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, I, you know, Richard Wolf brought up how socialism has learned from its earlier experiences, right? And just like capitalism, learning, experiments, it's all, it all continues on. And then Glenn ends the chapter with this quote, which I will read as I always do, which is, quote, But here's the truth. Socialists never do better next time. Because it doesn't matter who's in charge of the next great glorious socialist revolution, the problem runs much deeper than that. But you don't need to take my word for it. History of full of examples of socialism's failures. Catastrophic, terrifying, bloody failures. The quote from the previous page! (laughs) Glenn, you put the two-page spread after that, not before it! Yeah, I wonder if they fucked that up. I, I do have to watch, but well, here's the thing. It's in both of our copies, right? Yeah, so yeah. So yeah. it's not just a mistake in one book. It's not like they screwed up at the printer. It had to have been, if it was a mistake, an error in, in publishing. It had to have been made at the editing level. I, I don't know how you put out this book unless the editor realized as he was looking through this, ah, eh, nobody gives a fuck. Just send it out. Just fucking ship it. Just fucking go. I have to imagine... That's the only way you reach a fuck-up like that. Yeah, it's wild. All wild. So, from this chapter, I, you know, just a little, you know, it's been a long chapter. We split it up into two episodes over, over multiple weeks. And we got to say, what did we learn from this? I think the only thing I've really learned from this is that it's not really worthwhile to argue with Glenn's straw man of what we want. No. It's not really worthwhile. state what we actually want. Exactly, and that destroys his entire argument because the only thing he's capable of, of arguing with effectively is himself, is his written-out 
bullshit and even fake then, tweets. Not really. I don't no. feel like he's winning these arguments. Even then, he occasionally, even though he has these these fake characters continually backing down to his masterful arguments, he still gets his ass whooped on occasion by complete accident. Love that. So I just, I love it. I love it. I'm excited to get in the next chapter. Chapter four is titled Socialist Utopias and Their Bloody History of Failure. So we can see now where he was going with all of that. And I guess that's what we're going to be getting the next time we get into it. But that's it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, early releases, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Dexter, Allison, Corey Bidding, Megan Ruth, Savia Kino, Glaurung the Deceiver, Dania, I always want to say that in like a, a like I'm about to get in a fight voice, Glaurung like the Deceiver. Sauron the Great. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Danielle, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taru Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all as always for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, see you later, Space Cowboy. Goodbye. Goodbye. Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.